All right, thanks, Coop. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. If you're on the left or if you're on the right, keep your eyes on Texas. It's America's largest red state, and Republicans there are showing the 2022 playbook. And it's not new. Fraud and fright. For you on the right, do you like it? For you on the left, can you counter it? Contrived culture wars with a side dish of election fraud farce. Democrats better be watching. The Trumper governor there, Greg Abbott, called a special session today to push this agenda. And it is very campaignish. A revised voter restriction bill. It's revised because, if you'll remember, state Democrats blocked the GOP's initial attempt. Remember, they staged a walkout, said we're not going to be part of this attempt to suppress the vote. It happened back in May, just a few minutes before a House deadline. But it was kind of the only bullet they had to stop it. They don't have the votes. Will another walkout work? Or is it just delaying the inevitable? The real question, though, is why the governor is now saying now that he must fix something that he admitted in the past was not broken. Listen. Right now, I uh, don't know how many or if any elections in the state of Texas in 2020 uh, were altered because of voter fraud. So he didn't know. He suggested there may be none. No proof to bolster any sense that there was fraud ever came thereafter, nor does he offer any. Yet now there is something he must fix. It is the game. But again, the Democrat walkout may not work completely, but it did soften the suck that they now face. And here's how. The revised bill excludes a couple of provisions. One, they were going to ban Sunday voting, known as souls to polls, uh, and they were going to lower the threshold for overturning an election. Now, both were obvious power grabs, and one was specifically targeting minorities. Speaking of power, listen to what is not on the agenda. The power grid problems. Remember the woes back in the wintertime? They said, well, the grid's built for summer. And now, not doing too great in Texas with the grid. The governor said it was built to handle it. They have problems. Why not deal with the tough things That's what this is all about. Distraction. Culture wars. It's always worked. The new one, critical race theory. CRT. Buckle up. You're going to hear a lot about this, and you should probably get curious about what it really is, okay? It is a theory for understanding how the legacy of slavery, how racism has mixed with law over time to create systemic inequality. That's what it is, okay? What it's being used for? A weapon. Forcing socialism. Teaching all white kids they are bad. These moves are obviously political, but will they be effective? Let's turn to a Texas lawmaker who has a say in all of this. State Representative Trey Martinez Fisher was one of the leaders of the Democratic walkout in May that likely got Republicans to modify their voter restriction legislation. It's good to have you, sir. Thank you, Chris. You know, I see a lot of people asking you lawmakers on the Democrat side in Texas, will you do it again? Will you do it again? You know, it's just delaying the inevitable. Uh, The question is, what is the real move here? What is your warning on coming on a national uh, show to tell people about what Texas might mean for the rest of the country? The, The message is very clear. America, we need to wake up. We need to preserve our democracy. We need a federal voting rights solution. And we need it now. Chris, this is a now or never moment We're holding the line in Texas and we're going to fight with all our might. But even if we were to fix this problem in Texas, it doesn't solve the problem for the rest of the nation. 
We need a national standard and we are deadlocked in the U.S. Senate. It is time for everyone to up their game. We were in the fourth quarter, every man and woman in America. This is the time to speak up. Have you seen with the passage of time and trying to make the case to colleagues that it has changed the inclinations of any on the right in your state in terms of the lawmakers? Well, I'll tell you what, you hit it on the head. The the problem we have here in Texas, people are actually voting. We had a 66% turnout in the 2020 election and President Trump, former President Trump won by five and a half points. We're not as red as people think. We're becoming purple. And so the only way you can stop that momentum is to change the game. Just like you said, let's 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 make the hurdles higher. Let's put more tripwire on the ground. Let's make it a crime to vote in Texas. And that's the only way these folks can hold on to power. So when it comes to survival of the fittest, they're not willing to be pragmatic or bipartisan. Do you think that ignoring the power grid problems, which are a concern for a lot of people in your state, and instead focusing on the culture of war of critical race theory, uh, do you think that's going to work? So, you know, they call this a special session, right? There is nothing special about this session. This is what we call the suppression session because we are not dealing with the real problems. We need to fix our grid. Just like you mentioned, we have federal dollars sitting in our treasury that we haven't given to our schools, we haven't given to our small communities that don't get direct federal assistance from the federal government. And we now have a Delta variant exploding in the state of Texas and we are not prepared for that. Uh, That's what we need to be working on. And I think that's what actually gets voters ticked off is that Folks are going to focus, Republicans will focus on these red meat issues that go absolutely nowhere, but they're just trying to hold on to that little power that they have and it's slowly slipping out of their fingers. Now, when you say that, what is the feedback that you're getting in your, um, you know, your area, your community, uh, your constituency that makes you think that this won't work? Because at least on the media side, this critical race theory is getting a lot of traction in Texas and it does play into white fright. It certainly does. Right. But again, these are these dog whistle politics. You know, we can't just, you know, fall for this what I call a Jedi mind trick here. We need to keep our eye on what really matters. Listen, when I shop at my grocery store here in my community, no one ever tells me, you know, Trey, we're not being mean enough to immigrants. Go to Austin and make some laws or, hey, Trey, by the way, you know, we're not making it hard enough for women to have health care choices. You know, go back up to Austin and do that. Folks are concerned about these kitchen table issues, having an energy system that actually works, making sure that we have an air conditioner in the summer and a heater in the winter, uh, making sure folks are prepared for a pandemic. Folks have a job. Folks have a place to go if they want to go to college, they can afford it. We're not focusing on those issues. And I think voters can see right through it. Well, this is a laboratory, what's happening in your state. This is what is going to be what the midterms are about writ large. So we'll be watching to see how it goes, who benefits and why. Trey Martinez Fisher, thank you and good luck. Thank you, sir. All right. So if Republicans were serious about election integrity, they would follow what Arizona's secretary of state is calling for, a criminal investigation in the face of mounting evidence that Trump allies pressured Maricopa County election officials for months to announce voting irregularities in the 2020 election. Wouldn't that be by definition fraud? Recall what Clint Hickman, the guy at the center of this, said on this show. I've told people that were close to the Trump campaign with all this litigation that was going on. I said, just, hey, just do me a favor. I can't talk to anyone while this is being litigated. And um, it, it and that stayed true all the way up till uh, that that um, New Year's weekend. I got a phone call from the White House switchboard. 
Arizona Secretary uh, Katie Hobbs joins us right now. Secretary of State, thank you very much. Um, any indication that the Republicans in your state want to move away from the fraud farce and deal with any actual fraud that involved anything to do with Trump? Well, we could only hope, but right now it seems like they are just continuing to lead by conspiracy theory. Um, those who know that this fraud is a farce aren't willing to speak up about it. And certainly no indication that the state's top law enforcement officer is going to act on our request uh, to investigate. And in fact, he didn't even need a request from my office. Um, he should have just acted on the reports alone. Um, every lay person can look at this and say this this really does look like an attempt to interfere and should be warrant further investigation. Unless the man who was on the show was lying, it happened. But do you oh, agree yeah. that as it stands right now, it is highly unlikely anyone will be held to account for strong arming state officials into putting out what they wanted, which was the fraud force? Well, to my knowledge, uh, there is an investigation right now on the, the same tactics that were used in Georgia. Uh, and so hopefully now that we have this actual evidence that's come forth, uh, this will it will result in at least an investigation here that can lead to these folks being held accountable. Here's what you're up against. The GOP chair Kelly Ward put up her tweet. Uh, she was suggesting that election officials should go to jail because their pushback against the frauded you know, you blocked access, you withheld or deleted information, said they did not possess the passwords to the computers. Did any of that happen? They're just making this stuff up. I mean, honestly, right now, anything you see coming out of these people's mouths, you can just assume they made it up to just continue to pile on because they're, that's their goal is to, is to continue to sow doubt, to undermine the integrity of our election, um, and it, they're just making it up. Secretary of State, thank you for making your case to the audience. Thank you for letting us know what's happening. Thank you. All right, we got to spend some time on this CRT. Critical race theory. Why? Because it's going to be abused a lot. So let's look at it from the teacher angle. My next guest says that teachers in America are being bullied from teaching students accurate history about race. It's not just about talking too much about race. It's that... She believes this is about really suppressing any talk about it. She leads one of the largest teachers unions in this country. She's getting ready for a major legal fight. Let's get after it. Next. This is the thing that bothers or should bother about critical race theory. It's a boogeyman. It's not even taught in most K through 12 schools. But suddenly it's like the biggest thing that's going on in the country when it comes to our kids in schooling. Now, what does that tell you? Tell you that they're BS here. The critical race theory, this boogeyman, is just the new front on the culture war. That's all. The brown menace is gone. You know, you have to, they're not coming over the wall to come and take your women. Now it's, they're coming to take your kids. They claim CRT doesn't enlighten. It spreads racism. It spreads socialism. It's just telling white kids that everything you do is somehow given to you and you're worthless and that you have to be to blame for all the bad things. It's none of those things. Don't fall for what you're being told. Do the homework, okay? It isn't about an intellectual theory. That's not their fight. Their fight is about a power theory, okay? 
Now, what critical race theory is really about is just choosing which stories matter in the teaching of the history of America. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo gave up the goods on what this is really about for the Trumpers. He tweeted, if we teach that the founding of the United States of America was somehow flawed, it was corrupt, it was racist, that's really dangerous. It strikes at the very foundations of our country. This guy is supposed to be a genius. He was at the top of his class at West Point. You can teach that America, her birth, her independence, her fight, her foundation was part of the most notable and exceptional experiment in democracy on the face of this planet, comma, and there have been problems all along. And racism is a primary one. Both of those things can be said. Both are true. And he knows it. This is fake outrage. But it's having real impact on school districts across the country. And it may have a chilling effect on what our kids get to learn about who we are and how we got here and why things are not perfect here and why we are trying to promote a more perfect union. Parents against parents, student against student, teachers in danger of getting punished for what they teach in their classrooms. States all across the country are taking up bills to ban critical race theory. What does this mean? Let's discuss with the president of the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten. Good to see you, Randy. Good to be with you, Chris. Let's deal with the argument and then we'll go to the remedy. The argument. You are teaching about the oppression of black people in this country, but you're using it as a cudgel. Mike Pompeo is saying you want to say that this country basically stinks and blame white people. And this is the left's effort to uh, make a minority into a majority because you want them all to vote for you guys so you can stay in power. You know, I, I mean, that's what you're hearing. I, I mean, it's, and you're going to hear it more and more. So what's the answer? Right. So the answer is it's completely not true. I mean, I'm a high school social studies teacher. It, it's hard to actually fight against something that's completely not true. Um, because then you're assuming something in evidence that's not true. So let me go through what is true, which is that for the last, I don't know, as long as I've been teaching, uh, we teach history in a way where you take salient pieces of American history and you look at them and you examine them to have your kids be able to know the facts and to think through what that means. So when it comes to issues of American history, we teach about the founding and how great it was to actually break from Great Britain and have a democracy and how important the Constitution was, one of the first constitutional democracies. But it wasn't a multi-ethnic democracy. The, the founders basically were very focused on making sure that white men of certain ways had a vote. But this is what's great about America and what we teach in history that the arc of the moral universe has actually bent towards justice. And that whereas the founders 
actually were slaveholders. We went through a civil war. We went through the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. We've just got to celebrating Juneteenth. And so you see that through the struggle of America, we create more opportunity, more freedom. What I don't get is that that's a great story for Fox TV. That's a great story for all Americans. And what's happening now is that in this push to try to erase um, what has happened in our history, it is chilling teachers from teaching the fact that we did have slavery. It was uncomfortable. We need to get through it. We need kids to be able to critically think about it and to engage and understand it and get better as a result of it. It is the American experiment that we are trying to teach as school teachers, both the good and the ugly, but the change that we've seen, including having our first African-American president and our first African-American vice president. So you see these bills, five states, Arkansas, Tennessee, Texas, uh, bans on critical race theory, um, related topics as well. Now, that's the dangerous part because critical race theory as is, is not really taught uh, at the primary, secondary level. But if you have a dozen other states pushing for similar legislation, what is your fear, these laws, what they will do, and what is your remedy? Okay, so number one, the fear is take what's happening. So number one, it's like a modern day um, scopes trial. It's like the modern day version of stopping us from teaching biology and evolution. What it's what the fear is, is that teachers will be so bullied and so disparaged. We've seen that already and threatened that they'll stop teaching about the Civil War, the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, anything to do with the, you know, the issues around race, discrimination, bigotry, and things like that. And that will be terrible for kids to not understand history and how we actually move to be a more perfect union. What's the remedy? The remedy is that, number one, as a union... We have a legal defense fund that we've now put some more money in, and we're going to fight to um, defend every one of our members who teach honest history. But the other remedy is this. We're going to the courts, like take the Texas law. It basically says, I don't have the exact language, but it basically says that you can only teach teach slavery as if it was a deviation from the founders. Now, that's completely the opposite of our professional responsibility and our standards that says we have to teach honest history. So in Texas, we're going to go to the courts and say, well, can we or can't we teach the Civil War? Can we or can't we teach the Dred Scott decision, the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, Juneteenth, the new national holiday? So we're going to do those things. But the other thing we're doing, Chris, is we're actually explaining to parents what we're really doing. And really, truly, we want to get kids back into school in August and September in a welcoming and safe environment where we really start actually bringing community back together. Because I think that's the real issue here. People have gone through such terrible agita because of COVID that, that, that there is a sense of, of chaos and consternation 
that these culture warriors are seizing on. And what we need to do is bring people back together, our community, our education community, and do it in a welcoming and safe environment where all kids can thrive. Well, I look forward to the kids being back in school in person. That is for sure. Randy Weingarten, thank you for coming on to Make the Case. Thank you. All right, a brand new update out of Haiti. Uh, as you know, its president was assassinated. We have dramatic new video. Take a look. What is it? It's a gunfight between police and suspects. That's what we're being told the tape is. Two arrests in the manhunt are American. Does that mean that there was American involvement beyond their citizenship? We're going to have a former top counter-terror official's take on what this means about any involvement America did have or will have going forward. Next. We have breaking news in Haiti. Authorities now say as many as 28 attackers were involved in the assassination of President Moise, and two of them were American citizens. You're looking at video of a gun battle, presumably between Haitian police and 15 of the suspects. It was posted to social media today. CNN has not confirmed its authenticity. But the point stands. Haitian officials say that they have arrested eight suspects, including two Haitian Americans and six Colombians. Seven other suspects were killed. In the meantime, what does this mean? Joining us now, Richard Clark, who served as the White House point man on Haiti. Um, the fact that two have American citizenship, does that mean to you in any way that there was U.S. involvement in any attack on Moise? No, Chris, it doesn't. What it suggests to me, uh, based on the reporting we have so far, uh, is that Colombians, a large number of Colombian citizens and perhaps two Haitian Americans uh, were involved in this. That suggests a drug gang. Uh, it suggests mercenaries hired by perhaps one of the Colombian cartels uh, because the president probably wasn't cooperating. Uh, Haiti has always been a transit point for drugs from Colombia moving into the United States. Uh, and it's a small market for drugs from Colombia as well. So this looks like um, a spillover of a Colombian drug war. Big move. Uh, for a drug dealer or a cartel even to go after a president. But then again, it is Haiti. It's not like you're worrying about the state coming after you. What does this mean about the likelihood that America is going to have to have a heavier footprint there because there'll be chaos to come? Well, I don't think so. I mean, the U.N. was there last with its troops uh, and tried to establish security. We tried to establish security before that. It's a very difficult country to govern. I've been in every corner of it. I've been there over a dozen times. Uh, it's a country that just doesn't allow itself to be governed very well. There's no tradition uh, of policing. We spent a lot of time trying to build a Haitian police force, and it lasted about two or three years before it, too, uh, fell into corruption. Uh, so, no, I don't think the United States is going to go back in. But it does show us, Chris, that the reason that we as Americans have an interest in preventing countries from falling into failed state status uh, is that the spillover affects us. In this case, the fact that Haiti is more or less a failed state means that drugs can flow from it into the U.S. more easily. Speaking of failed states and what it means for us, Afghanistan, uh, you don't have to be Richard Clark to know 
that when America leaves, the Taliban will move right back in. They're going to have a war uh, there, but it's going to be pretty quick. And they use the stick and the carrot. And we're going to start to hear ugly things there about what's happening to women, what's happening to ethnic minorities, what's happening to non-Muslim extremists. Uh, And what does that mean for the United States, short and long? Well, Chris, that's probably right. The president said today uh, the Afghan forces have 300,000 troops uh, and the Taliban only have 75,000. I think those numbers are off a little, uh, but it's not a foregone conclusion uh, that Kabul will fall or it will fall immediately. But your chances are you're right. Uh, And we will probably see terrible things happen. Uh, And uh, the rights of women uh, will probably be cut back uh, enormously. Here's how, wait, let me just the play for context. Today. Uh, let me, let's play what he said, Dick, yeah. and then I'll have you comment on it. Here's the president. No, I do not trust the, the Taliban. It's a silly question. Do I trust the Taliban? No. But I trust the capacity of the Afghan military, who is better trained, better equipped, and more, re, more competent in terms of conducting war. Since when? Who has the Afghan military ever taken yeah. on and won? <laughs> Well, no one. And they really don't have 300,000 people. Uh, but the point he made that, I, that resonated most with me is he said, we did not go in to do nation building. Mm-hmm. I remember the decision. I was in the room on the night of 9-11 when we made the decision to go into Afghanistan. It was to get bin Laden to clean out the terrorist training camps, to prevent Afghanistan from being a sanctuary for al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups. Well, it's not anymore. And we don't have to be there in the country with U.S. troops all the time to prevent it from being a sanctuary. We can operate remotely from over the horizon. And the military have developed plans to do just that. I don't think we can say to an American mother or father, uh, you've lost your kid in Afghanistan in 2021. And look them in the eye and say to them honestly, and your son was there fighting for the freedom of Americans. That's just not the case anymore. And I couldn't say to a parent, and I know Joe Biden couldn't say to a parent, your son or daughter died in Afghanistan and they were there fighting to keep us safe. That's not true anymore. I don't think it's been true for quite a number of years now. The question is, will it become true again? Uh, We'll see. We'll see. And Richard Clark, I will call on you to help us understand whatever happens going forward. Thank you, sir. All right. The war at home, uh, as tough as any terrorist, COVID, 24 states are now going in the wrong direction again. Look, this isn't a surprise. You knew the variants were going to be here. You knew that places where there hadn't been vaccinations were going to be harder hit. There is news tonight from the government on booster shots. That's not new either. Be honest. They've been talking that maybe you'd need a booster shot for a long time, even if fully vaccinated. It's the only way it makes sense. Why would you need a booster if you're not vaccinated? You need the vaccine first. So do we need them sooner than later? There's confusion because of something Pfizer just said. We'll put it out there. We'll explain it. We'll discuss with somebody who understands the medicine and the policy. Next. Okay, so... Why is everybody talking booster, 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 booster? Pfizer. Pfizer put out a statement saying it's ramping up efforts to develop booster shots. Why? Data from Israel that immunity is waning from the initial doses. 
However, the CDC just put out this statement. Americans who have been fully vaccinated do not need a booster shot at this time. FDA, CDC, and NIH are engaged in a science-based, rigorous process to consider whether or when a booster might be necessary. Here's something that you have not heard and you need to hear and needs to be said, okay? If you guys are all getting together, why not do this? Push the FDA to commit to the process to get the vaccine approved. Instead of jumping ahead to booster, get past EUA because there are many people in this country, especially where their kids are involved, who won't take the vaccine because it is not approved. Why isn't it yet if it's so safe and all the data is so good? Legit question. Now, when it comes to the booster, let's talk about what is noise and what is news. Dr. William Schaffner. It's been a minute, Doc. You look well. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Chris. Glad to help. Booster, booster, booster. The vaccine doesn't work. You see, now we need more. Now me, calm me down. Um, the answer is that our vaccines still are very, very effective in keeping us out of the hospital, in averting severe disease. That's what they were designed to do. Now, it's a bonus if they can also prevent what we call infection. You could get infected, have mild symptoms or no symptoms at all. They diminish that possibility greatly, but they can't turn it off completely. And that's what the Israelis are talking about, and Pfizer has echoed. But as long as these vaccines keep us out of the hospital, then we don't need a booster. And at the moment, they also cover all the variants, including that Delta variant that's rushing through the unvaccinated in this country today. So we're on solid ground at the moment. I'm so glad the Pfizer people have done the research, ready to have a booster on the shelf if we need it, but we don't need it yet. Let's look at the data about how uh, the, you know, this idea of waning immunity versus what we're seeing about the strength uh, of the vaccination in the first place. I'll put up the bar graph, please. The number of people fully vaccinated by COVID-19 vaccine type. Pfizer, 83.9 million. Moderna, 61.7. J&J, the single shot, 12.5. Isn't that enough people and enough time for them to be able to make the case that this should be authorized and approved and not just for emergency use? Ah, you're talking about licensure. That's exactly correct. A lot of us are frankly a bit impatient that the FDA hasn't yet worked its way through all the elaborate, important uh, evaluations in order to uh, license this vaccine. This vaccine has been used in more people, and we know more about its effectiveness and safety than any other vaccine that we've ever licensed. Hurry up already. Right. So what's going on? Because look, you I'm sure you hear it all the time, um, being a white coat, that, uh, listen, if it's so easy and so good, why isn't it approved yet? And I'm not giving it to my kids before it's approved. And state officials, uh, local officials, even private entities saying, look, I don't think that we can demand that people take it when it's not even approved yet. This would be a big piece in the puzzle, would it not? Oh, it certainly would. It would put at ease many, many people and would make it so much easier for us to speak to so many folks and get people who are still anxious and not quite convinced over the line 
and we could get them vaccinated. It would be a great help. And I would urge my friends at the FDA, I have no insights into the process. I would say, how about a few all-nighters and long weekends? Let's get a move on, please. Because who's going to believe the FDA about not needing a booster when they can't even say that this thing is approved yet? Look, you know, not many people are saying this. It's not that politically popular, but who cares? I hear it from too many people. They should get it done. Biden says he's going to do what he can. That's what he can do. Uh, Let me ask you something else as I let you go. Are those CDs over your right shoulder in that rack? They are. You have any BGs in there? Uh, I have all kinds of stuff, but I don't think I have BGs. What? I'm Chris Pauling. (laughs) I have a lot of of country music. I'm here in Nashville and jazz. Of course you do. You're down in Nashville and you're a man's man. All right, doctor, be well. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. He's actually much more than just a man's man. He's a man for all season. He's a man of science. He's a man of letters. He is a man in full. All right. The gift that he keeps giving. That's what my next guest is about. A real American. We must remind ourselves we are more than the noise. We are more than the haters. This man is a gift who keeps giving gifts to others in need by doing what he can. Ordinary creating the extraordinary. An American to remember. Next. What can I do to help? I'm ordinary. You do what you can. And tonight's American is proof of just that. He's using what he is good at to do good for others in need. I want you to meet Elliot, my man, Middleton. Former car mechanic, although once you're a mechanic, you're always a mechanic, but he did change professions and now is a restaurant owner in South Carolina. But here's the true soul food on his menu. On his days off, he takes in junk cars in return for some of his specialty BBQ ribs. All right. Love ribs. I'll be talking to him about that. Now, what does he do? He takes the car, fixes it up and then gives it away. 33 cars, nine months. First of all, great rate. But think about what that means for these people, for work, for family. Elliot joins us now. God bless, brother. Thank you for what you're doing. Now, tell us why you started. Yes, sir. So um, pretty much in uh, 2019, um, it was a food drive that uh, me and the mayor of Andrews, we conducted. And Andrews was a small town. Um, we did the food drive. We had about 250 um, family boxes that we can provide uh, for the uh, for the area. And um, once those boxes was gone, I did notice that there was a few people that wasn't able to get in. So I was walking out the door to try to tell them, sorry, we were out. And when I turned my head down the down the block, there were a lot of people still left, um, just distraught by the uh, the folks and couldn't receive the food, but even more distraught. The fact that some just kind of turned around and just started walking back, didn't go to cars or anything. And I caught up with some of them and I was like, um, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, is there anything I can do? I'm sorry. Are you, are you walking back to a car? You need a, you need a hand. And we got some elderly folks there. And it was like, no, like, you know, we walked like three or four miles to try to get to the food drive. And from that moment on, I said, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with food and beverage now, but I need to do something about this. And that's that's how it started. Where'd you get the idea that I'll trade you ribs for a wreck and then I'll fix it up and give it away? Well, of course, with uh, with, with anything, uh, a good trade off would be great uh, versus it going to the salvage yard. Um, I figured the ribs would be a good uh, uh, pitch to uh, get folks to uh, let me have their cars. 
um, instead of going to the salvage yard and you get a dinner uh, dinner plate of ribs on me. So um, that started off and uh, it, it took off after that. And you're, they're giving you cars that where you don't, you know, you can get them to a place where they're going to pass inspection and people will feel good at it. And how is it scaling up in terms of what you've seen with what these cars mean to people in their lives? Um, what I've seen uh, is just a turn of emotions, a turn of a lifestyle. They are able to uh, to do different jobs, go and seek jobs. And all of this is really pretty much going on there. Of course, the uh, the uh, worldwide uh, COVID outbreak. And when all of this happened, you know, folks were losing jobs. They needed to be able to pay their bills and they couldn't. I mean, you know, folks were losing their cars, losing their homes and all that stuff. So um, I've seen a whole lot from the cars that, that were, you know, donated up until this date as far as how it changed lives and um, just made people a little bit more uh, comfortable, um, made them be able to go out and search for jobs and reliable transport- transportation for uh, grocery shopping and um, medicines and hospital bills. I know, hospital it's, I know it's ramping up. Word is spreading and people want to help you and get your cars, but you can't do it all by yourself, especially when you're running a business and you want to be able to help more people. So there is a Go, GoFundMe page, right? Where can people find it? And what is your hope? Yes, sir. My GoFundMe page is, um, it's, a uh, it's, it's on, you can go on Facebook and it's under Middleton's village to village foundation. Um, that's the main page that we operate off of. Um, this is all something that's just getting crumped up as far as the, uh, the page is concerned. Um, you can go there, you can find the mailing address. Um, and also, um, just, just folks, uh, pitching in now, like we have, we have car carriers, we have different folks that are asking, how can they help? What can they do? Um, it was just me and actually one other friend who, uh, pretty much towed those cars, repaired the cars, um, got them out to the family. And that's all the way it was for the, you know, pretty much the last nine months. But we're starting to get more people involved. We're starting to get more, um, you know, people that just want to help. And that's, um, you know, that's something that I didn't think was going to be on a on the broad span that it is now. But my 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 logo and my pitch on my foundation is Middleton's Village to Village. Middleton's Village to Village. Middleton's Village to Village. Middleton's Village to Village. Middleton is M-I-D-D-L-E-T-O-N. M-I-D-D-L-E-T-O-N. You have right now a goal of getting to 50 grand. You're going to get to 50. I'm going to tweet it out. You're going to have to pick a new goal because you're going to have more people to help. Real quick, what's the secret? What's the difference between a good rib and a great rib? (laughs) Um, I tell you what, a good rib and a great rib. That's a, that's a tough question because sometimes I sit there and I, and I want my customers to experience it. Mm-hmm. And, um, sometimes they go off the wall. Like this is the best ribs that I ever had. Um, other times it's more like, um, let me try another piece. And once they try the other piece, it's like, okay, this is awesome. The fry ribs is awesome. Um, they just love picking choices and just coming in and experience a good time at my restaurant. Yes, sir. I love it. I'm going to talk to you in the break. I got to see how I get some flown up right away. Elliot Middleton, thank you. I'm glad you're doing well, and I'm so impressed that you're doing good for people. God bless, and thank Thank you. you. We'll be right back. Thank you, sir. Thank you for watching and giving us the opportunity. It is now time for Don Lemon tonight with the upgrade, Laura Coates. Chris Cuomo, how are you doing tonight? Better than I deserve. And you? 
Well, I deserve to be good. <laughs> I was going to take the opposite. I feel pretty good, but I'll take your high road better than I deserve. That sounds much no, more No, no, you deserve I everything. I appreciate that. You're not me. Well, you deserve everything. Well, I don't believe things. that. No, I don't believe that. But, you know, we're all doing the best we can, especially on a night like tonight. <sighs> What's leading the show for you? What's got you burning? Voting rights. I mean, it should be burning everyone. I mean, the idea here that we're in a democracy in 2021 and it's still up for debate, whether it should happen, whether it can happen. I mean, it's unbelievable to think that I'm still and everyone is still talking about voting rights because they're still seeming to be on the chopping block. I don't understand why. Sure you do, because I mean, they want more of theirs and less of others to vote. This is about winning. And it doesn't matter if it winds up creating racial strife. It doesn't matter if it takes us back culturally. It's about winning. I keep thinking about Sisyphus. You know that story where they roll up the boulder. Sisyphus rolls it up, up, comes right back down. down. I mean, I keep putting that together with Dr. King and his mountaintop sermon about the idea of having seen it. You think he actually saw, or can you imagine what he would think if he saw voting rights, one of the most seminal civil rights legislation rolling back down the hill every single chance it got? I mean, it's unbelievable because at some point, enough people have to push that boulder over the hill and keep it there. But you're right. It's about power. It's about the maintenance of power. And I just think that it's time America really realized the dream of democracy, which is supposed to be of, for, and by the people. Depressing moment. Uh, My writer, Susan, she's not depressing. She's great. She sent me a quote from Dr. King from the 60s during the debate over the Civil Rights Act, where he was speaking to exactly this point, that these white men are trying to keep their power by instead of reaching out and having a message that resonates with all, limiting the rights of some. And it was written like it could have been said today. It's just about keeping power. That's all it is. This is one of those topics you don't want to be evergreen. I I would love this discussion to be in an American history class and we can move forward to where we're supposed to be, but we'll still talk about it. Great show tonight, as always. You're making history every time you're on, El Coates, and I'm listening. I appreciate you. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.